0: Today we are starting a new series and it's called Close Encounters. And uh, this series is going to take us through April and I am, I'm really excited about it. When I was considering the whole concept of spending a year with Jesus and focusing on things like getting to the heart of the matter and as I, as I studied out um, the, the parables and the teachings of Jesus and the, the things that he did during his, his ministry and during his life, um, it dawned on me that everyone who encountered Jesus, everyone who came close to him, uh, everyone who, who was in his realm, uh, as where, wherever he traveled, they, they always left different. They, they didn't always change for the good. Some people left Jesus, and they left with heavy hearts, and, and they left with questions, or they left with doubt. Others, would, when they left Jesus, they left their burdens and their afflictions uh, physical, mental, spiritual. They just left it at his feet. And, and they left whole again. And they, they were renewed. Some of them were renewed of, of physical deformities or, or, or disease were healed. Some of them were renewed and walked away from an encounter with Jesus just with a new, fresh lease on life. And that, that's what encounters with Jesus is all about. That's what close encounters these next few months. That's what it's all about. As I hope that each Sunday you leave going, Oh, that's awesome. I didn't think about it that way. And, and I hope and, and I pray as we go through this that, that that's, that's what you take away over these next few Sundays. That, that you have opportunity week in and week out to have a close encounter with Jesus Christ. From little children to the religious leaders of his time to Pilate to the thieves on the cross to his left and his right. To the Roman guard at the cross who said, surely this is the son of God. All the way to you and me. Everyone who has had or will have a close encounter with Jesus Christ will come away differently. You you can't be in his presence and leave the same way you were when you came in. The question is, will you come away like the thief who mocked him? Or the thief who asked for his blessing and received it? Today we're going to look at a close encounter with hope. And as we begin, I'd like to share a few illustrations about hope. Um, the first one comes from Charles Swindoll. In his book, it's called Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life. And in this book, he tells a story about a missionary that was sitting in her second story window. And she, she was handed a letter from home. And as she opened the letter, a crisp new $10 bill fell out. Apparently, this was a few years back. Um, nonetheless, she was pleasantly surprised but as she read the letter from home, her eyes were distracted by movement on the, on the curb down below. There was a shabbily dressed stranger leaning against a light post in front of the building. And, and as she read the letter from home, she just couldn't get this man off of her mind, thinking that he might be in greater financial stress than she was. And, and so it, it just kind of came upon her, and she slipped the bill, the $10 bill, into an envelope. And on the outside of the envelope, she just quickly wrote the words, Don't despair. And she kind of got his attention and dropped the envelope down to him. And and he picked it up, looked in it, saw the outside, smiled and tipped his hat and he went away. Well, the next day, she was about to leave the house when a knock at the door was there. And she she opened the door. She found the same shabbily dressed man in the same clothes, uh, a little bit grimy. And and he was smiling, and he handed her a roll of money, of bills. And she said, well, what is this for? And he simply replied, that's the money you won, lady. Don't despair, paid five to one. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you see... She was sending hope, okay? She, she just real quickly wanted him to have hope. She, she saw him in what she thought was a bad place, and, and she sent him hope, and he missed it, okay? He just missed it. Years ago, an S-4 submarine was rammed by a ship off the coast of Massachusetts, and it sank immediately. The entire crew was trapped in a prison house of death, and every effort was made to rescue the crew, but all of those efforts ultimately failed, Near the end of the ordeal, a deep sea diver who is doing everything in his power to find a way for the crew's release, uh, he thought he heard a tapping on the steel wall of the sunken submarine. And so he, he placed his helmet against the side of the vessel and he realized it was Moore's code. So he attaches himself to the side and he, he's listening intently and he's spelling out in his mind the message that was being tapped from within. And it was repeating the same question over and over again. And the question that was being tapped out from within that sunken sub was this. Is there any hope? See, the thing is, hope delivers us from despair. Sometimes hope is what delivers us from the despair that we often allow ourselves to fall into. We, we quit thinking and focusing on God and we allow ourselves to, to stumble or, or we get caught up in something. And, and it's our hope that helps to, to pull us out of that. Hope gives us strength when nothing else can Hope can see things that our eyes cannot see. Will you pray with me? Father God, this morning we come before you. And, and Lord, you know we're, we're talking about hope. And I, and I thank you first and foremost for your son Jesus Christ. Because he is our hope. And he is the reason that we do the things we do. And Lord, I pray that you will open up our hearts. That that will not be like... The man in the illustration. We won't miss your message of hope. But we'll grab a hold of it. We'll put it inside us. And we will live uh, to the fullest with that message. And we will share it with others. I pray that we'll be like the wise men. Who who sought out. They they had a hope for the prophecy that they had heard. And they sought it out Lord. And I pray that we'll be like them. that, That we will seek you out. And then we will share you with others along the way. I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts and move in our lives. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. This morning, we sang one of my most favorite songs, We Three Kings, and we sang it in March. Ah, I love it. I love Christmas. I love celebrating the birth of Jesus. And, And I tell you, as I was planning and working this series about close encounters with Jesus, it was the thing that kept coming back to me. I said, we need to look at the wise men. We need to look at the wise men. I know we just talked about them a few months ago in December, but I was like, we need to look at them again because they had hope. They had a knowledge. They had knowledge of something that others missed. The, the prophecy of Jesus' birth, the star, what the world saw as only another star, they knew to be something special. They had the hope of the promise that was given by Daniel many years before. I, don't, I want to look at this story. We're going to look in Luke chapter 2, uh, and we're going to look in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit. And, uh, and as we get there, and as I put this out, I kind of have some questions about these wise men. Uh, one of my favorite questions, and I get this, I ask this a lot. Were there three wise men? Were there really three men, three wise men in all the land, or only three? Um, <laughs> women are going, yeah, right. <laughs> if they're lucky, there were three, <laughs> one and a half wise men, we'll call it even. Um, <laughs> they were, were they in Bethlehem at the manger? That's one of those things that people always want to know. And, and we set up our nativities at Christmas and we got the shepherds and, and we got the wise men and Mary and Joseph. And, and so a, a lot of times people say, well, were they there the night that our, of our Lord's birth? How did they know where they were going? How, how do they know that? They didn't have maps. Or maybe they did. I don't know. How, do, how did they know what to look for? How did they know the specific star at the specific time? We can find all these answers in the Bible. In Luke chapter 2, this is where we find Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, the angels. And the, the angels announced the birth of our Savior to the shepherds. And the shepherds come running. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger. The Bible says in Luke 2 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We also read about the angels as they announced Jesus to the shepherds. Luke 2 8 through 14. We read about the shepherds. And it says, and they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. What we do not read there in Luke chapter 2, in what we call the Christmas story, is, is we don't read anything about the star being above the manger at that time. And we don't read about the wise men visiting baby Jesus on the night of his birth that happened there in Bethlehem in the manger. Well, you may ask, well, what about Matthew chapter 2? And it's a, they kind of go together. So let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to see what the Bible says. And here's what it says. It says, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. Notice right there what the Bible does not say. It doesn't say, Behold, three wise men came from the east, or from the east, came to Jerusalem. It does tell us that wise men came from the east. And um, by the time the men arrived in Jerusalem, Jesus had already been born. Because it tells us there, they say to King Herod, Where is he who has been born, King of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Okay, so we answer those first few questions. Uh, not really sure yet how many wise men there were, but we do know that when they got there, Jesus had already been born. So they said to King Herod, Where is he who had been who has been born? Now the wise men traveled from the east and they didn't have the transportation we have today. They didn't have a car or plane. So most likely they traveled by foot or with camel. And probably a lot of servants and a lot of help. Uh, most, it must have taken them some time uh, just to get to Jerusalem. And, and they started their journey when they saw the star in the east. So if they first saw the star on the night that Jesus was born... There's no way the wise men could have been there at the manger the night that he was born. Okay, Shepherds were there. Angels were there. Mary and Joseph were there. Mythbusters time. That myth is busted. The wise men weren't there. Okay. Now, Herod secretly called the wise men and determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Herod is a liar. He did not want to worship baby Jesus as the new king. He had different motives. When they heard the king, they departed and behold the star they had seen in the in the east went before them and it came till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with his mother Mary, or with Mary his mother, fell down and worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's Matthew 2, verses 7 through 11. In what I just read, we see the mentioning of Jesus as a young child. He was no longer the baby in a manger. So it leads me to believe that these wise men traveled a good distance. Also, we see that the star stood over where the young child was. There were no shepherds at the house. It doesn't even mention Joseph, so I'm assuming that his part of maternity leave was over and he was back at work, okay? Um, But when the wise man had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And because the wise men presented three gifts, it's easy for us to think that there were three wise men. The Bible never really says that, though. But here's it. Uh, What you need to know is the wise men were also warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. And there's a lot of neat things happening here. Matthew 2, 12, Herod did not want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. So when the wise men did not return, Herod was angry. Now, these wise men, whether there were three or five or just two, that doesn't really matter. But I've heard a lot of people really get hung up on that. And, And so I just want to tell you, how many wise men there were doesn't matter. What matters are things like this. These men brought gifts to Jesus as a child. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts that were prophetic in nature and very rare as far as gifts that you would get for a young child. They don't have these at Toys R Us, okay? The other thing is, these wise men were not, and I'll, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but they weren't your typical Jewish-raised people who, who had knowledge of all these things, Okay? But here, God shares with them in a dream not to go back to King Herod. A lot of impactful things happening. But regardless of how many men there were, how many wise men, these magi knew and respected the prophecy of Jesus' birth. And they had hope as they began their journey that they would find the Messiah, the King of Kings, at the end of their journey. But how did they know? How did these pagan men who weren't raised in proper Judaism and and didn't know the traditional teachings of God's chosen people, how did they know about the coming Messiah? And and how did they know and everyone else miss it? I mean, the shepherds were told by the angels, so that's kind of like they were given the answers. They went and they worshiped. But there were many people in Bethlehem that night. There were many people in their hometown, just like Mary and Joseph, being counted for a census that missed it. They missed the commotion. But in order to answer the questions about how did the wise man get it, while the Jewish Israelites, all these promised children of God missed it, we have to go way back a few years before the birth of Jesus to the time of Daniel. And in doing so, we're going to learn a couple things. We're going to learn, first off, that the, the Magi knew and respected this prophecy that Daniel gave. And they knew it because of Daniel. And here's how it goes. God had foretold to Daniel the exact day on which Jesus was to announce himself as king. The, the learned Magi knew of Daniel's prophecy about Jesus announcing himself as king and of his reputation, Daniel's reputation, of being reliable in these kind of matters. They knew the story that was recorded in Daniel, where their own Magi brethren, where, the, where the, the, the wise men and the magicians of that time had not been able to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But Daniel's God had revealed it to this Jewish prophet. And Daniel had used this information to save the lives of these wise men and these Magi of that time. And for that, they would have considered Daniel as a phenomenal individual one whom they would have greatly respected in every generation of magi since Daniel. You see, just prior to Jesus' birth, they they must have been buzzing with anticipation because they knew that they were living within a time frame within approximately 30 to 40 years of the completion of this specified time period of Daniel's prophecy. Now, as, as I studied this, there are a whole lot of numbers and a whole lot of calendars and a whole lot of things that I was just like... Whoa, this is awesome. So I encourage you to go and check these things out. But they, because of Daniel's prophecy about when Jesus would declare himself king, these wise men were able to backtrack to an approximate day when Jesus was going to be born. They also had knowledge of, that the star was going to be part of this proclamation. And they had this from Daniel. And they knew that if, if somebody was to announce himself as a Messiah in roughly 30 or so years, he would have to be born Within this time period, and so here we have these Magi looking for a sign. We have these men who know who really are not, um, you know, they're not like us. They're not Bible-believing, good Christian men. They are Magi. They're they're wise men. They're astrologers and historians, and they were looking to the skies with anticipation. They were looking, and and they had a hope for what would come. And the neat thing is, they were preparing to follow what they were about to observe in heaven. They were already making preparations. They, they were already kind of following this along. So that gets me thinking. I'm like, could you imagine, as a Magi, holding in your hands the scroll of historical context of Daniel interpreting the king's dream, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and and saying, and in doing so, saving the lives of like your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather great or uncle, whoever, uh, that was a Magi then. And then you're holding in this scroll all this information, and without Daniel's interpretation of that dream, these men may never have been born. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but as my mind starts working through all of this and processing all of this, you know, the king, king himself was in a bad place. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and, and he couldn't clearly remember it, and he, and he surely didn't understand it. And, and he declared that if his wise men and his magi, if they couldn't tell him the dream and explain it to him, he was going to have them all killed. And they were like, well, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. He goes, it doesn't work that way. I'm, I'm confused. I'm conflicted. You have to do it all. Enter Daniel. He told of the king of his dream. He explained it to him in, in vivid detail. What each part of the dream meant and how it was going to work for him. And, and he explained to him. And in doing this, he saved the lives of these men, of these magi. And, and so the current magi that we're talking about right now, they knew this information. It was written down in their history. And I'm sure that this story was one that was passed down from generation to generation. And now these men are on the verge of seeing the king that Daniel spoke about. These men are on the verge of seeing the king who would be the king of all kings. Seeing the king, they knew the prophecies of the king of hope. The king who would rule over all. The king who would rule justly. The king that Daniel spoke of while interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar when he said, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, it will itself endure forever. And these wise men, however many they were, there were, they were on the verge of seeing this king be born. Now, because I'm a hopeless romantic and an eternal optimist, I look at this like you've got these magi, and they're, they're, in a sense, they're coming so that they can say thank you face-to-face to the king of kings for using Daniel to spare the lives of their family many years before. These men aren't just coming to, to just say, hey, thank you, though. They're not just saying, hey, thank you, little toddler Jesus, for, for saving our, our family through Daniel They're they're coming to present gifts to him. And these gifts are of great value. These are gifts that the average person didn't just have lying around the house. And and even these gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus, they suggest that they were being prompted by Daniel's prophecy and that they fully understood the prophetic and the religious implications of Jesus' birth. You see, they understood his birth, They, they, they had a glimpse of his ministry. And they had a glimpse of his death, all from this prophecy. And it's all considered in the gifts that they presented to Jesus. The first one is gold. Daniel said in in chapter 9, verse 25, that the coming Messiah was to be a prince. This term, it shows us royalty, that ultimately a prince becomes a king. And gold was the perfect gift for a king. Frankincense. God stipulated back in Exodus, chapter 30, verse 34 through 36, that frankincense was to be prepared for the purpose of sac- sacrificial fumigation. That's a tough word sometimes. Jesus Christ was killed on Calvary as the perfect sacrifice, which would be acceptable to God to take away the sins of all who would accept it. Did Daniel's prophecy reveal the sacrificial aspect? Yes, it did. Daniel nine twenty-six. God revealed the Messiah would be cut off. He would be sacrificially killed. Interestingly enough, frankincense was also used by the priests during the regular service in the temple. So this frankincense, this gift of frankincense, could also point to Jesus Christ as the ultimate high priest, which is an office that he assumed after his ascension into heaven. And then myrrh. The Jews used myrrh for embalming bodies, for burial preparation. Again, the verse quoted above would have prepared the Magi to bring this gift. It's extremely interesting that Two of the three gifts that the Magi brought to young Jesus related to his death and his burial. Daniel's prophecy contained all this information that the Magi needed to know to bring these gifts. They studied this prophecy in its entirety. They knew exactly the kind of gifts to bring. But they didn't just bring gifts. The Bible tells us they worshipped. Which means they, they had a change of heart. At the heart of the matter, to look back just a few weeks, they came in as Magi and they walked away as worshipers of Jesus Christ. Remember my question about how did the Magi know what to look for and how did Israel's spiritual leaders miss the prophecy? Consider this. By the time Jesus was born, you had different sects of Jewish leadership and they couldn't all agree on what the scriptures meant. Some of them, you had the Pharisees who were focused on the laws and the legalities of the Word of God. You had the Sadducees who had conflict with things like literal meanings of the prophecies and, and, and about the resurrection. And, you, and you, had the, um, you, you had all these different levels of religious leadership and none of them could really agree on what the Word of God was saying. And after several generations of this, as several generations come and go, each teaching and believing these different concepts and these different schools of thought, you become left unaware. The way I see it, they lost hope. God's people lost hope. We talked about that back in Malachi where, where he set up all these, these ways of, um, of, of what proper, unblemished offering and sacrifice should be. And, and they had missed it then. And they went through 400 years of silence, basically. And then Jesus is born. And during that time, there's all these little, well, I know, it says this. No, it says this. No, it says this. Does that sound familiar? I'm just wondering. It's what we do. After several generations had come and gone and believing these different concepts, they were just left unaware. You remember the Ten Commandments? When they were in the desert, Moses is up on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he comes down with the Ten Commandments, and the Israelites are worshiping a gold statue that they had made. They lost hope. The same Israelites that crossed the Red Sea. The same Israelites that witnessed the plagues. The same Israelites that, that witnessed God bringing them out of slavery and providing what they needed. They lost hope. When I look at those things and I think, wow, it's a good thing that we're not like them because we, we never lose hope. We never get distracted. We never make our own gold idols. Most of the time. You see, these wise men, they didn't miss it because they studied what they had. And they watched and they waited. They waited with hope. They waited with hope that the prophecy from Daniel was true. These wise men are a good example of what it is for us to live out our verse for the year. Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, they didn't know Jesus, but they already had their eyes fixed on him. Through prophecy and through understanding of what Daniel said, these wise men already had their hope in Jesus Christ, and he wasn't even here yet. He hadn't even pronounced himself as king. He hadn't even revealed to the rest of the world who he truly was. He was merely just a toddler. And these wise men sought him out, Because they had the hope. They studied. They had the prophecy. They had the resources. They had the hope. The wise men, they remind me of the the pearl merchant that we talked about a few weeks ago when I was in the Heart of the Matter series. Uh, In the prophecies and the writings that were passed down to them about Daniel and about Daniel's God, they found a pearl of great value in the form of hope. Hope. And they were willing to seek out this pearl. They were willing to study the stars. They were willing to search the skies for the sign. They were willing to risk their own lives in hope that they held held the truth in their hands to follow a star. They were willing to travel a great distance, not really knowing what to expect at the end of the journey, just knowing there was a prophecy. And like that pearl merchant, they put everything on the line. They packed up. Because at that time, you didn't just just go on a two-year journey. You brought your whole house with you. When they saw the star, they rejoiced in exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They traveled in hope. And when they reached their destination, they were not disappointed They worshiped a child. Grown, non-Israelite men who were taught to fear and respect worldly kings are bowing and worshiping at the feet of a child. The feet of the king of kings. The king of hope. What are you doing at the feet of the king of kings? Are you mocking and living piously for yourself as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious folk of Jesus' day? Or are you worshiping? Are you coming before God to have a close encounter with him or are you coming before him so that the people around you just think that you're more than what you really are? The Bible doesn't say that as these wise men, these rich wise men came in, that there was fanfare and announcement about who they were. It just simply says they came in and they asked a question and they went on from there. Brothers and sisters, it is time to present ourselves to God just like the wise men did. And through this series, I pray that we will each have a close encounter with Jesus. I pray that you will forever be changed by that encounter. And if you're not sure where to start with that encounter, come forward today. Talk with one of our elders. Maybe you know it's time to submit to the King of Hope. And and like Mindy, be baptized and leave all this worldly junk behind. And start fresh forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of eternal life with Him. Maybe for you... You want to be an ambassador of this hope. You want, you want to share his hope. Come and, and partner with us at Huntsville Christian Church. Share the hope of Jesus Christ with our community, with the people at your job, at your school. Bottom line is it doesn't matter if there were three wise men or 40. What matters is they had a close encounter with hope and they saw God move in a mighty way. Are you ready to see him move in your life? If so, it's time for you to move first. I can't tell you where your journey with God is going to end. Just like nobody could tell the wise men where their journey was going to end. But they stepped out. And they stepped out with hope. And they weren't disappointed. And you won't be either. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to share and hear your word. Lord, I pray that that we act on it. I pray that we don't fear the journey, but that we revel in the fact that the the final destination is with you forever. And I pray that in that we'll have hope and that hope will give us the courage we need to live our lives for you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Will you stand and sing with us?